Hello and welcome to Article 23, the podcast all about making work, work. Rhonda, CEO and founder of Moi, is in Sydney. James, co-founder of Moi, is in New York. And I'm realizing that I've never met you in person, James. And Rhonda, I've met you once in person, even though we've been working together for a really long time. Mm. Rhonda, what does the global experience at the moment, where a lot of people are interacting in this way, mean for people, mean for community, mean for business? It's a great question. I'm going to do a really, really brief intro into some conversations we've been having and then pass to James because he's super thoughtful on it. Is when we first locked down, we sort of started talking about this as a big experiment and everybody's heard us talk like that because it is the first time for a very, very long time, 100 years, that the whole world has shared something. And so we all got locked down and what have you all around the world. What came out of it, people started going, well, we'll be able to stay in our pyjamas in our lounge room for the rest of our lives. Joy. And you thought, I mean, I love my pyjamas, but I don't want to live in them. And I don't want to live in my lounge room. And I don't want to look at my own face on a Zoom call all day. Like there's an aspect of this connection we have to other people. And at that stage, we're talking mid 2020, we were already looking at a loneliness epidemic that had taken on the world, this break of community, this disconnection, and this escalated it. And so when we start looking at this, we've just now in late 2021 got the first real data coming through on this, and it's big. So if we look at the Australian Institute of Health and Wellness that's come through, the experience of loneliness is now more than twice what it was at the beginning of 2020 and sadness all, all these things they've come out of Hilda data they're very very robust points of data so now we're starting to have those conversations but I'm going to throw to James because he's been really thoughtful on really broad implications of what this might look like for us mm, and I think we spoke over the last day or so at psychology week in Australia and I think yeah we cross over in our team a lot with psychology and think about concepts and it's interesting a lot of the things we think about in psychology hold going forward and obviously in this one through the pandemic there's definitely something about are we in the pandemic uh, which is passive like it's happening to us like we're I don't know washing around in the ocean with no control we're not good swimmers or are we with the pandemic and when you think of it like that I feel like you have a control it's a small thing in language but it makes a big difference and even in the, the news over here in the US, we're actually seeing that come through without any politics, particularly in the medical sphere, is like we're living with it. This is what we're doing. Next variation. We've got plans in place. We're better equipped than we've been before. There's sort of, I wouldn't say a, a huge optimism, but there's definitely a, a much, much weaker negativity, if you like, or, or, or worry about it um, than there was before, which is good and kind of reassuring and obviously the right language to be giving out. The other one that um, we've spoken about a lot here, and I, I think that loneliness concept, Rhonda, is huge, is we don't really think about the people that are sitting in a room by themselves so much. They're having a really different experience to those that are with a family member, you know, a set of, a set of family, whatever the family's like. It's a really big difference for people um, in the way that they interact and get their energy. And the other one that I will come to and we can pick up back on these threads is I looked at data because we know we were talking about the great resignation. I'm going to write an article on debunking a little bit the great resignation from a data <laughs> view. It was started by a psychologist. We were talking about that yesterday too here in the States, but I don't think they were really thinking it would become the great marketing campaign of 2021, um, <laughs> particularly in uh, if you're at the front end of any sort of recruitment activity or HR activity. 
uh, or any kind of service that supports that. What the data says is in the near term, we've seen that, but we also, if we look at it properly, there was also the great suppression in the job market last year. And so is it really a great resignation and a great rebound or is it more just, wow, we've seen, if we look at it really close under the short-term kind of magnifying glass, it looks big. It looks like we went down and we went up and it was like this, it was huge. Um, but if we look at the long run average, we're pretty much right on it. So to pick up on the first of those points, the idea of passivity, hmm. When it comes to loneliness, when it comes to building community, what are some key points for people listening around how we can engage in order to be proactive about looking after our people? To have a friend, you've got to be a friend. And so that sounds weird. Friends at work, that's a debated topic, debated in surveys and data collection. Um, but proximity and relationships matter deeply in the work that we do. And so that just means that if you're feeling lonely, of course, we want people to reach out to you, but also there's something on you to do the same. And so you, you have a role in being connected to as you do to be a connector. Um, and I think that's really important. It can feel tough. If you're the person that's lonely and you're feeling isolated, that can be the toughest thing in the world to do. But you know, as soon, I think we can all relate to it. As soon as you do something, it's a text message, a call to someone the WhatsApp with a family member, I don't know, or any of the above, the knock on the door from a neighbor or someone delivering something like any of these things are uh, make a big difference in a day that can feel long and long and like one big long day sort of thing. I think that's really important to have a friend, you've got to be a friend or to be connected at work. You've got to make connections. You also mentioned the phrase heat seeking missiles. What did you mean by that? I mean, I'm not a, a, a man of weapons and destruction, but it's important what I understand of heat seeking missiles is that basically they're designed to follow and track uh, a source of energy to do their job. Humans are exactly the same as that, but we don't have an intent to destroy. I think Rhonda put that beautifully. We're looking for connection and we bounce off the energy of others. And so we're finding it, we need it. It's important to our growth and our existence. It'd be like light to a plant. To look at that second point, which is how different groups have experienced the pandemic or the dual pandemics of COVID, obviously, but also loneliness. Rhonda, how do you see businesses handling all of those different groups with numerous different needs, no need necessarily more important than the other? How do you hold that diversity in a company? Yeah. I, I think the answer to how do we see people dealing with this at the moment is badly. We just really have got these incredibly narrow conversations. And as we know, like whoever has the power in the organisation and in the society and in the community and in politics, they get the talking stick. And so those people with power will decide the conversation. And so it's only now that we start to see the data of what's actually happening that we realise that it's a much broader experience than we thought. And so the conversation, and it's been all over the world, is this emphasis on homeschooling, being stuck in the house with your kids, blah, blah, blah. And so there's lots of photos of um, CEOs and important business people or whatever, you know, with their four-year-old climbing on their head. And four-year-olds are really adorable. And we all go, oh, look at that little four-year-old climbing on their head. It must be so hard to run a company when a four-year-old's on your head. And, and it's a, I get that it's a strain and I get that the emphasis on gender and caring responsibilities has been biased. I get all of that, but... The data that's now coming through is that people who don't have a four-year-old in their house or don't have anybody in their house, as James mentioned, are having an even worse time. And there's a whole pandemic of loneliness and sadness in teenage kids. 
And so your 14 year old who's awkward and sad coming in and climbing on your head while you're trying to run the company is not something people want to see or choose to see. And as a consequence, that's been silent because on Zoom, we look cute and smiley and nice and we put the filter on and everything else. But behind the scenes, if, you know, you haven't got anyone in your house or you, or you haven't got anyone who wants to connect with you. So that's the other point is, I, you know, I sat with a, a leadership team the other day, a CEO and her team, and they were talking about, oh, 15 Zoom meetings in a day. It's horrendous. You know, it's really tough. And there was a guy in the team who's brand new and he said, first couple of weeks, I was lucky to have one. And so when this CEO or very important people have got their 15 meetings, they're like, I could just get rid of one of them. They might get rid of the one that's the only one for somebody. And so that person has stayed in their pajamas until one o'clock when the meeting's on. They finally got out of their pajamas. They brushed their teeth and done their hair. They're ready for their one o'clock and all of a sudden it's cancelled and that's it. That was the only interruption they had to their pajama day. And so it's that sort of understanding that we're actually impacting each other very significantly and obviously when we're physically together it's much easier to spot but virtually we're probably not understanding that completely or appreciating it and I think that's the conversation when we see this data we see that people over 45 have got the highest levels um, people in their teens and 22nd I mean there's there's sort of the bookends of the people who don't have a lot going on the people with a lot going on in the middle are actually doing not always well of course but doing better so the first step is being aware of these trends and being aware of the needs of different people. I would say asking. I know that sounds really silly, but like just in a one-on-one, not in a group like how's everybody going, that would be, you know, you can do that, but it's fairly light and skips across the surface. But everyone you work with say, how's it going? You know, what's going on with your life today? What's, how's the week been? Things like that is just that little pattern interrupt to being able to talk about it in a more intimate way. I think, I think that that's what we would do if you're in an office, you would walk up and see someone grabbing a coffee or whatever it happened to be. It's making those spontaneous interactions constant. I would totally agree with that. And um, not just for the sake of it is we are too willing to say, wow, the big trend is resigning. As there are this many people resigning, the overwhelming majority are not resigning. People aren't resigning to go to nothing. I totally debunk that. I don't think their mortgage went away. I don't think they've stopped paying rent now in particular. I don't think those things have as radically shifted as we're made to believe. I still think that there's a safety, security, routine, all of these things. It's nowhere near as big as what it's played out to be in the media, online, et cetera. There's no way. Happy to be proven wrong, but I'm very confident. You sort of look at it from a, like there's huge amounts of data and market impacts and everything else. I sort of also add to that is this feeling that we underestimate the impact that we can have on people, that that small interruption, that call, that whatever it happens to be, but equally the impact they can have on us. And, I, you know, plenty of times I will get up in the morning and I'll be a bit tired and I'll get in the car or the train, whichever I feel like, and we'll zip into the office and, and you sort of think, oh, I'm really tired. I haven't really got it going on today. I've lost my mojo a bit. And then I see my colleague and they're having a great laugh and they went to a concert last night and it was fantastic and they're telling me about it and and all of a sudden I come back to life. And so their impact on me, I didn't ask for it. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't plan it, but they're excited and they're filled with joy and, and they, they share it with you and that feels great. So why is it that the conversation that's popularised in the media at the moment is instead of being centred around looking after each other, us being heat-seeking missiles, getting those benefits from interacting with each other. Why is the focus on 
people resigning or perceived trends? Why, why are we looking in that direction when the solution is somewhere else? Because there's a 20% gap in the tech market. We don't have enough people to do those jobs. <laughs> yeah, I think I, 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 I'd agree Sorry with Sorry to be cynical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to use a bad expression here, people are talking their own book. They're talking in a way that serves their purpose. Let's say there's a gap in the tech market, not enough people. I'm going to say things are bad. Everyone's resigning and how great I am. Like that would make some sense. Wow, look, we've got a great culture. Wow, we know we did some research and then you never see it that said people are resigning because of ABC, but hey, we do it differently over here. But over here in America, there was numbers I can't even remember. They were so big, my, my mind can't compute them about people that don't have a job um, or didn't have a job in the pandemic. Stand down, furlough, redundancies, big stuff. People will argue that that's pockets of the market that were traditional and everything else. Limited data to show exactly what that means because it's too early. But how are we now all of a sudden, less than 12 months later, devoid of any talent that makes no sense to me like that just think through that like here's a lot of people and they're still here now they don't have work and now we're looking on the other hand and we're saying there's just a massive gap of vacancies haven't we been talking about this for so long though like the, the tech gap was a seven-year conversation so we always knew it was coming and so what we should be doing maybe it's called the great retraining or the great whatever it's called because that was never going to be solved when we weren't training people weren't developing people in a set of skills that were always going to be short and then we put everybody online for 18 months so it became more pronounced so it's quite clear but it's only just now that these companies are saying oh maybe we could train people whereas if you look at top sporting codes if they want really great players they build academies if you look at the big manufacturing of the 80s and 90s they want apprentices they built whole programs of apprentices i mean every time we've needed to have a really great big lift in skills we've had to do something about it and it isn't about putting an article in the paper and saying what you know how good you are you have to physically do something you have to train differently think differently find people with the raw materials that the potential to learn your skills and you have to help them learn how to do it and the fact that we didn't do that didn't invest in that is always going to be a bit of a problem but it's not relating to people walking away it's just they were never there and you're right James there are people with great skills that are sitting there don't have a job let's give them some some proper skills to do the jobs that are there that's the difference it's a it's like a reset of capability Maybe it should be called the great surprise. Like, wow, we knew this was coming and we did <laughs> nothing differently at all. And then we were surprised that what we knew was coming actually arrived. And that's really where these three points come together. We're not passive in how we build culture. There are many groups with different needs and what we need to do is listen to each other. And in order to engage with the changes of the world at the moment, rather than focusing on resignation or dramatizing what's going on, we need to talk to our people, know their skills, know the gaps that need to be filled and keep it human. I totally agree with that. I mean, we have been talking about it for a while, probably in two main expressions, I think. And if we look back at our thinking and our work, it's true, is one is the democratizing of design of work. And this is a great example where that makes sense. And Rhonda called it outright is people aren't doing a good job at the moment, um, they're getting better and I think more aware and more balanced. And I think that's really good to say, wow, we can't just generalize like here, it's, I guess, a, a reasonable analogy is they said, wow, the first case of Omicron is now in the US. And Dr. Fauci, whether you love him or hate him, I have no view. He said, wow, we've got one case and you're asking me questions about millions of people. That's what we call N equals one. And I was just like, 
Cool. Makes perfect <laughs> sense. You can't, you can't try and generalize an entire virus, an entire workplace, an entire way that people want to approach their lives based on one person. You can hear those views and see what's happening. That's really important and take a data view. So that's democratizing design. And then what you do with that is co-curation, which is what we've been talking about, which is find out what people want, build receptivity in that, and then go and do it, co-curate it together. I think that's important. I don't feel like that's changed over two years in, we've been, in what we've been talking about. Co-curation has been very much about, you know, what doesn't work? Can we throw that away? What do we want on the walls? And let's put it there. And I think that's the questions, isn't it? It's saying, what'd you learn? What was important? What wasn't important? What did, what did you miss? What didn't you miss? How can we build something that works for all of us? And so that democratization of how people work is the conversation. It's not about, I need you to work my way and you need to tell me what you need. It's more about how are we going to work together? Because that's the other part of that work design conversation we had in psychology week, which was very much about, everybody's talking about productivity. But productivity is like such a, it's an important business metric, but it's not the only business metric. One of the unique things about human beings as a part of a business is we are the only voluntary asset a business has. We can literally decide to give you an extra 20% today if we feel like it. You can change productivity literally in a minute if you wanted to, but you do have to have people who voluntarily want to give you a little bit more or are interested or keen or working a way that really works for them and for their contribution. There's just so many really nice ways to look at not just what's your job, but actually how are you impacting other people? How are you teaching others? How are you learning from others? How are you building ideas with others? There's a whole bunch of things that we do collectively, which are incredibly important, not just I am very fast at making my widget. Because we're not fixed. If there's something that we've learned over the past few years <laughs> and beyond, it's we're not the same every day. We are so influenced by the people around us. Yeah, we're collective. Rhonda and James, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us on the podcast today. James, I hope one day I can meet you in person and heat missile, but without destruction. <laughs> that is an offer that sounds too good to refuse, Lincoln. I look forward <laughs> to the day that that arrives. <laughs> Lincoln, it's been a pleasure and I could, I could talk to James on this topic forever and we often do. So thank you very much for having both of us. Brilliant. And thank you everyone for listening. We look forward to next time. 